off when he come into the house now because the new is here. See, friends, when God does a renovation in us, he gets rid of that old junk, right? That old carpet, and then he gives us something new. And I'm telling you, it's fluffy. Oh, man, you can do carpet angels in that piece. I mean, it's just so beautiful. But listen, we don't treat the new the way we treated the old. The old might have been walked on over, right? You might have walked on over the old. You might have just trampled on some, brought on some dirt on the old. But on the new, right? The new is different. The new is clean. The new is beautiful. And that's how God has created you. God wants to do a renovation in you. He wants the old to be gone. And behold, all things are new. So as we're talking about renovation, there's a couple. uh, The definition of renovation is to restore to good condition, to make new, or as if new again, to repair. Some words that mean renovation are to restore, refurbish, revamp, recondition, refresh, reinvigorate, and my favorite, revived. The church needs revived. The church needs revival. Friends, we need revival. We need God to spark that life in us again. And as we're preparing for what God wants to do, I want to bring us along a journey. There's a show that, that we watch sometimes on HGTV. My husband's a fan of HGTV. How many of you guys ever watch HGTV? I told first service, I'll say it again. I have a hard time watching it because when those people go into those houses and they're like, mm, big, gorgeous, million-dollar house, they're like, mm, the playroom's just not big enough for my kids. You got like one kid. I got four. They would have a lot. We could put like five bedrooms in there. What are you talking about? You know, so sometimes I get an attitude when I'm watching HGTV. But there's one show that I particularly like on HGTV, and that's called Fixer Upper. I love this show. First of all, uh, Chip and Joanna, I mean, like, I feel like I could be besties with them. They're just, like, the most adorable couple. I'm like, I told her, I said, only a couple I think is more adorable than them is, like, us, Josh. Of course, I'm, I'm our biggest fan. So, but I love these guys. They have just such great attitudes, and they love their family, and they work together. And what they do, though, is they take the trashiest house in the best neighborhood, okay? And they go in, and, they, and they're with people who are going to buy this house, and they help them see this house that looks like it could be in the south and all boarded up, right? And they look at this house, and they say, I see potential, and they walk in, they're like, oh, this could be a playroom here. And, and we could put a, you know, a, a, a beautiful kitchen with all the cabinets and all this stuff here. And, and they make these people see what is not there but can be there. And I love that because that's how God looks at us. You know, the world might look at us like, oh, that's a hot mess of a hot mess. You know what I'm saying? Like, they need some help. <laughs> they come from dysfunction upon dysfunction upon dysfunction. You know what I mean? But God looks and says, oh, man, what potential. Oh, I see beauty there. I see, man, we can do some amazing things together there. And so that's what renovate is about. It's about restoring, refreshing. It's about bringing that, that revival that we need to do what God has called us to do. This is the thing. God is the master renovator. But he does not restore, refresh, and revive mere buildings. Instead, he restores, refreshes, and revives people. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. See, this is the thing, friends. God has to build our house. Now, those of you maybe who grew up in church like me, maybe you heard that old song that, you know, they used to make you put your hands together and put your, your fingers together as such, and they would say, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open it up and, and see all the people. See, we get confused in America. We think of the church, oh, Vision Ministries over there in South and Broadway. God's like, no, 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 no. That's a meeting house. That's where they meet at. That's where they, the church is you and I. We are the church. The people are the church. And so God wants us to build the church, build the people. That's what the fivefold, when you read in Ephesians 4, the fivefold was given to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to build the people until we all grow up and mature in the fullness of Christ. So God is the master builder. But friends, he's called us to also be builders. What it is, is we're supposed to join with the work that God is doing. See, when Jesus did ministry on, on earth, he said, I join my father 
at his work. That my father's always busy. He's always at work, and I join him at his work. That's what we're to be. We're to be the builders underneath the master renovator. And we're, we're to be basically God's tools to build up his church, his people. See, God is the renovator. We are his tools. And he uses us to build his church, his people. Mother Teresa, um, one of my heroes, she would often say that she is a pencil in the hands of God. People would look at Mother Teresa and say, oh, she just has such a kind heart. She sees the poor and she wants to, you know, equip them and, and love on them and bring health and wholeness to them. But she would say when people would give her these compliments, she would say, no, no, it's not me. It's God. It's God work. It is his work. It is him, his work. And she literally met that. And friends, we need to mean that too, that when we are working, we are joining God with his work. How cool is that to be able to participate with God in what he's doing? I mean, that's pretty amazing. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Some of us come into church needing a word, and that's okay at times. Some of us come in and we just, man, God, would you just speak to me today? Would you just, you know, move on me? But see, the Bible in Proverbs says this verse, and I love it. It says, Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Sometimes the refreshing that you're needing is not going to come until you refresh somebody else. God has called you to join his work and to build others up. So today we're going to be talking about building God's people. We're going to talk about building yourself up in the Lord and building others up. And we're going to learn five lessons, say five lessons, from someone in the Old Testament named Nehemiah, who I think was probably one of the best repairers of broken down walls, right? He was one of the best uh, renovators. He, if, if they had HGTV back in their day, I guarantee you he would have had a show, right? <laughs> Nehemiah was the man. He was known for building. And so we're going to learn from him and we're going to break down the word build as an acrostic. So each of these five lessons is going to start with one of the letters that spell out build. And we're going to learn from Nehemiah how we too can build ourselves and build others. And the reason I say ourselves and others, because if you're not building yourself, if you're not getting it yourself, it's hard to give to someone what you don't have for yourself. You know, God wants us to be like that, that mama bird. Sometimes we got to get that meat, we got to chew it up, and then we give it out to those God has called us to care for, right? So you got to get it for yourself and give it to others. And so God wants us to build ourselves up in the Lord. The first thing that we have to realize when we're set out to build ourselves in the Lord is that the battle begins with prayer. Say, the battle begins with prayer. Now, I'm going to read a chunk of passage here, and I need you to focus in because it's so good. And I'm going to read from the message version. This is not the most accurate translation. Matter of fact, it's just a paraphrase version, but I think it's good to get the um, big picture from it. And I, believe, I, I like the writer of the message kind of puts it in everyday language. So we're going to read this together and hear from God what he did in Nehemiah. It says, the members of Nehemiah... It was the month of Kishlev in the 20th year. At the time, I was in the palace complex of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews and who survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me the exile survivors who are left in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is in still rumble. The city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. Friends, sometimes God, when there's bad news that comes, God is, the best ministry is oftentimes birth from a place of agony. And this is where Nehemiah was. In 5 and 6, he says, I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commandments. Look at me and listen to me. Pay attention to this prayer of your servant. I am praying day and night and intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And I'm including myself. When we go into intercessory prayer, friends, we better not just be talking about everybody else's business. We better always include ourselves. Amen. 
So he's praying before the Lord. He says, I'm including myself. I and my ancestors were among those who sinned against you. We've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us and haven't followed your commands and haven't respected the decisions you gave Moses, your servant. All the same, remember the warning you posted to your servant Moses. If you betray me, I'll scatter you to four winds. But if you come back, say come back. But if you come back and do what I tell you, I will gather these scattered people from wherever they end up and put them back in the place I chose to mark with my name. Well, there they are, your servants, your people whom you powerfully and impressively redeemed. Oh, master, listen to me. Listen to your servant's prayer. And yes, to all your servants who delight in honoring you and make me successful today so that I get what I want from the king. I was cupbearer to the king. The first thing I want to point out to you, that when he got this news, he was in despair. And friends, when we are in despair, we need to go to prayer. Every time. When despair hits you, and life happens, despair hits you. There's times that we go through hardships in our family. There's times we lose a a loved one uh, to cancer or to other diseases or even just age. There's despair that we all go through. But in despair, go to prayer every single time. That's the first thing he did. He realized the battle begins in prayer. And so he fasted and he mourned and he prayed and he sought God's face. But then, friends, he realized that God put this on his heart so that he could have feet to his prayers. Oftentimes we want to pray and we want to just leave it there and not do anything. And there's times that we pray and we're supposed to leave it there. But there's times that we see something and we're praying about it and God's saying, okay, we need to put some feet to our prayers. And that's what he did. He was a cupbearer to the king. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a servant to a king. It would be like the secret, ag- uh, secret agent, or what those called, uh, the, the, the men that stand before the president, the secret service that stands before the president and would take a bullet for the president. That's what a cupbearer did. They drank the um, wine before it came to the king in case it was poison. They were willing to die. They were a servant. So he knew he was a servant. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. But he saw something, and he did not let his title keep him from doing what God wanted him to do. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter what you do, what title you have, what degree or no degree you have. God wants to use you as a servant leader to build God's people. But building others, friends, it's a battle. And the battle always needs to start in prayer. When in despair, go to prayer. And the thing is, the ruin is sometimes the greatest motivator for the renovation process. When he heard these news that Jerusalem was in ruins, instead of just being depressed about it, he allowed it to do a work in his heart and to begin a renovation process. If you want revival, friends, in your life, then you're going to have to mourn the sin that's in your life and those around you. That's it. It starts there. But if you want to justify your sinful actions and still say that you want revival, friends, you're probably in deceit. You probably are deceiving yourself because we always have to start from a place of prayer and mourning. And when we see the ruin, God will show you the ruin. It's easy to see the ruin. You just have to open your eyes. We've got to allow that to put us in a place of agony where we're praying in intercessory prayer. What ruins are around you today? Is it your marriage, your children, your neighborhood, your job? It could be the place that God is calling you to rebuild, to restore, to refresh, to bring revival. Let's start in prayer. Let's commit ourselves to start in prayer. So how to build yourself up and others up in the Lord, number one, the battle begins in prayer. Number two, just because the battle begins in prayer and we may get some success, you got to realize you're still going to be under attack. Say, under attack. See, Nehemiah went before the king as his cupbearer, okay, and and going before him, not being called and going before him, he really could have got himself in big trouble. I mean, he was a servant. He wasn't supposed to be making all these requests, but he went before him trusting that God was going to go and have his back. He made a request, and God gave him favor, and not just favor. The king financed his trip back to Jerusalem and gave him the money he needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So success came. He had his answer. He got his yes from God. How many of y'all want your yes from God? Right? God's promises are yes and amen. I love that verse. I like my yeses, okay? I'm one of those people. I like to hear yes. 
I, I don't do as well with no's. I've had to learn to, to, you know, sometimes the answer is no. But I like the yeses. He got his yes from God. But as soon as he got his yes from God and he makes his way back to Jerusalem with people and with provision, the attack still came. See, some of us are in this place. We've got our yes from God. We've, we've finally given our hearts to the Lord and we know that he's real and we've got our salvation. We've got our yes from God. But then we're trying to live it out and then problems happen in our finances, in our marriage, in our health, at our job, right? And then we're like, but what the heck? God, I'm your servant. I got my yes. Why am I now still going through things? Why am I still, why do I still feel like I'm under attack? Right? I got my yes, but yet I'm still under attack. Nehemiah had his yes. He had his provision. He went to Jerusalem. He begins to build the walls. And as soon as he begins to build the walls, here comes the enemy. With their big mouth saying, oh, who do these Jewish people think they are building? They think they're going to build this wall up. Who do they think they are? Friends, that's how it is when we give our hearts to the Lord. We get our yes and we start testifying. Then we got that old family person like, I liked you better when you used to drink. Right? I liked you better when you partied. Who do you, th- oh, you think you're too good? Not what, what, you don't want your kids hanging around my kids anymore? Right? And we start getting all these attacks and we're like, God, I'm just trying to live for you. And what happens is we don't learn how to grow in opposition. Friends, we have got to realize that the more we grow, in the, the higher the level, friends, the bigger the devil. The more we grow, the more opposition is going to come our way because opposition is sent to test us so that we can become more like him. Nehemiah did a lot of things in these oppositions. One of the things that he did that I think is so awesome is he trusted God through it. See, in uh, chapter 3, it talks about how he he gave division of the work among the families and that he had a plan to, to, he, he laid out a plan. He just didn't go there without a plan. And then the enemies came and they were upset at his progress. Friends, sometimes the attack comes because you're making progress. And that's why the attack is coming. And you're like, why am I getting attacked? Because you're making progress. And the enemy doesn't want you to walk in the fullness of God. You need to worry if you never feel an attack. He doesn't attack the people that's on his team. But he's going to attack those who are not on his team, who are making progress. In chapter 4, the opposition of the building of the walls had become so great that the enemies committed themselves to plan to attack the men of Judah and actually kill them so that the walls would not be constructed. The men of Judah became aware of the plan. From this point on, they carried a weapon as they worked. I'm going to get into that in the next point, but I want you to remember, they carried a weapon while they still worked, friends. We've got to start to learn to live under opposition because it's going to happen. We've got to learn to still stand even when we're being attacked. We've got to learn to pick up our weapon even when we're being attacked. And the Bible says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is our offensive weapon. We've got to learn to start using the word when we get underneath attack instead of saying, oh yeah, devil, you're right. I do suck. We've got to start claiming the word of God over our life. Yeah, I've messed up. But God is still loves me, and he's still going to use me, and I'm going to fall and get right back up. I'm not going to stay down. We've got to learn to use the weapon. Listen, after great victories is when the enemy always wants to come in. When Jesus was baptized, and the heavens opened, friends, and God himself spoke in an audible voice for all to hear, this is my son who I am well pleased, right? And the Holy Spirit came down in a dove. I'm talking like, oh, like how awesome was that, right? Can you imagine being there and seeing that like, awesome. I mean, like, seriously, like, the, the, like the, to hear God speak in an audible voice, see the heavens open and his Holy Spirit descend upon you as a dove. I mean, how awesome. But right after that is when Jesus went into the desert. He got his yes. He got his victory. And then guess what? He went into the desert and there was a time of tempting right? The enemy came and he tempted him so many different ways. He said, oh, if this, if you're the son of God, take this stone and make it bread. And what did Jesus have to use? The word of God and say, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then finally, after he was tempted with these different things and he kept using the word to defeat the enemy, the enemy left. But the Bible says he left for a more opportune time. Friends, some of us want positions. Some of us want certain titles. Some of us think that God has called us to do certain things and he has, but we don't realize 
that the higher the level, the bigger the devil. You've got to learn to hold your weapon while you work. My mom is only, um, she only preached once. She's a behind the scene kind of person, but she overcame cancer about three years ago. And she asked to really just share her testimony. And so we let her preach on, it was on Mother's Day on, on a Sunday morning. And she said, oh my gosh, Joy, I've been under attack all week. I said, welcome to my life. <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks. You know, we said, oh, I could say that. I could do that. I could do Pastor Albert's job. <laughs> okay. Get yourself trained up. You're going to have to work with your weapon in your hand. You got to get that sword of the spirit ready because the attacks are going to come. But what happens to a lot of us, as soon as the attack comes, we, get, we run away and hide. We say, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't want that. I thought serving God was going to be sliding down rainbows and skipping on clouds. I don't want all that. I thought it was going to be all good and fun. It's all good in the hood when you're serving the Lord. Oh, man, you still got your stuff broken into and stolen? But I'm the Lord's anointed one. You still go through financial tr troubles? But I'm the Lord's anointed one. Every once in a while, your husband still gets on your nerves? But I'm the Lord's anointed one. Guess what? You got to learn to live. Amen. And, I, and opposition, there's times of opposition. You can't give up every time opposition comes. You got to stand firm, friends. We need to learn about handling opposition. Nehemiah trusted God. He drew encouragement from God. We see that in chapter 4. He answered the critics by calling on God because, see, opposition didn't just come from the enemies from the outside. It came from the inside. Oh, those are the worst. Church hurts the worst hurt, friends. Oh, I thought they were. David said, but this was my, it hurt so bad because it was my brother. Right? It's, it's the people of God hurting, hurting me, saying bad things about me. What are we going to do when we're under attack, friends? Are we going to God for encouragement? Are we going to allow him to vindicate us? Because opposition is hard. It's hard. But how we handle opposition, if we handle it the right way, it will build our character. It will build our character and our lives will be a shining example of who Jesus Christ is. It's for your good. Count it all joy. Oh, don't you hate that verse? Count it all joy. Say it with me. Count it all joy. When you go through many kinds of testings. I remember when I was passing a, a kidney stone. This is right after I had uh, our youngest son five years ago, my baby Justice. And I went through three weeks after having him. It was, I had a surgery and ended up having a spinal headache. It was the worst pain I've ever had. I passed two kidney stones. I had a gallbladder surgery. It was crazy. It was just a rough time. And so I'm passing a kidney stone, and I called my dad who lives in Waterville. And he came all the way into town, and he picked me up to take me to St. Luke's. And I'm in pain, right? And he looks at me, and he says, honey, this too shall pass. <laughs> See, that's why he had to get out of the room every time I had a baby. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, though. What truth? Sometimes we're in such pain, but we have to realize this too shall pass. You were created and born for such a time as this, friends. You got to learn how to handle your opposition. Ready? Let's say, I'm going to learn to handle opposition. I promise when you do, you will be build yourself up and others up in the Lord. It's going to be good, okay? The third point, the third thing that we need to learn in order to build ourselves up and to build others up, to build the church, is we need to learn to get involved. Can you say get involved? Get involved, get involved in what God is doing, right? God is always at work. We need to join him at what he's doing. We need to join him. See, the Bible doesn't want us just to be hearers but doers of the word. I love James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Hmm. Now, notice the word merely listen, okay? In this verse, this word is from the Greek word, archros. This Greek word is from the classical Greek times, and it describes people who audited a class rather than taking it for credit. You know, it's the people who get those awarded their doctrines, but they really didn't go to school for it. You know what I'm saying? Honorary doctrines. Some of us, we go to church and we audit what's being said. We take it in and we listen, but we don't do anything about it. We're just an auditor. We're not really a doer. And God is calling us to be more than an auditor, 
but to be a doer of his work. See, I like to say it this way. I, I get to preach sometimes to the young people at Toledo Christian School. I love doing the chapels there. And I say, man, if we got a lot of born-again Christians who are really bored again. See, they're bored because they're not doing the work of the Lord. They're kind of like this armchair quarterback. Check that dude out. Right? Super Bowl is coming up. Just sitting there chilling. Got his drink and his, and his chips. And he's like, oh. And he's like, hold up. No, man, do that. Come on. Some of y'all seen that? Look, listen, I have kids. I have boys. And some of them are in sports. It's hard not to be an arm bear. It's an armchair quarterback. It's hard not to sit there and be like, come on that are in the game what to do, right? We think we know better, yet we're sitting here in our chair, overweight with our chips and pop thing, and we're going to tell these people who've trained all their lives to do what they're supposed to do, right? We know better. We go to church like armchair quarterbacks, and we sit there and think, well, if I was in charge of that ministry, this is what I would do, and this is what... But you're not even volunteering anywhere. Are you trying to tell someone what to do? When's the last time you served, right? Oh, we think, well, if I was running Vision Kitchen, right, this is what I would do. Well, well have you rolled up your sleeves? Have you got into the game? Because God is calling us, friends, to get into the game. I can't get into the game because it's just too hard at home, Pastor Earl. I'm too busy at home to get into the game. No, friends, every single one of us is called to get into the game. It, it, there's different parts. See, we're all tools in God's hands. There's different parts. Some of us are called as a hammer, supposed to smash down some bad things. Some of us are called, you know, I, I like, I like uh, my favorite tool in the house. Is this, I know it's a silly one, but it's the, what are they called? That, 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 hold up. I'm going to get there. I'm going to know what it's called, but I know what it looks like. It's a little thing, and it has a red light that lines up. My, a laser level, right? I'm called to line up and make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. I like that tool. We all have different things that we're called to do, right? Some of us are called to do different areas, but it's, we're all tools in God's hands to do his work. The Bible says there's different, the body has different parts. Some is an ear, right? Some of us hear the things that we're supposed to, some of us are the feet, some of, but we're working together to build the body. But none of us are called to be an armchair quarterback. None of us are called to be orders of the word of, none of us are called to just sit back and do nothing. We're called to get involved. Say, get involved. involved. See, Nehemiah didn't build a wall all by himself. He didn't battle in the spirit all by himself. He taught people how to pray and work. Friends, God is still calling us to pray and to work. Nehemiah, in his wisdom, what he did is he called each man and he said, this wall is a big wall. You're going to build the part that's by your house. And you're going to have to hold on to your, your tools in one hand and your sword in the other. Your hammer in one hand and your sword in the other. And this is the area that you are to build up. Friends, some of us are not doing all that God has called us to because you haven't even built up the wall by your own house. You haven't been invested into your own family yet. I want to encourage the fathers in the house. God has given you a calling. I tell my husband, I got the easy job. You got the hard job. God has called me to love you or and to submit to you. But he's called you to lay your life down. If a bad guy comes into our home, I'm not jumping up in front of the bad guy. My husband is. I love him. But I'm not giving my life for him. He's giving his life for me. Right? Now, if it was my babies, of course, that's a different story. Mama bear is coming out. But for him, this is a big man. He can handle himself. And he can take care of God. Men of God and women of God, we got to respect our men for that because it's in them. That's why, that's why you see boys. Come on, moms of boys. You see it in them. They want, they're playing the army stuff, uh, young boys. There's something in them to be a defender. God has called them to do that. I got three sons. I call my sons the thunder, right? I know they're called. These boys, <laughs> they love their mom. They will fight over me. Except for my oldest. He's a daddy's boy, whatever. The youngest two, they're my sons of thunder. Love you too. Even one day, even one day, my oldest got into it. My, son, my husband said, whoever, whoever is your mom's favorite, go get her a water. I was upstairs in my woman cave, as we call it, doing my thing. And I was lazy, so I called my husband and asked him to get me a water on the phone. Don't judge. And, um, <laughs> and he was lazy and told the boys, whoever loves your mama, go, go run up. And they ran upstairs with that bottle. 
and even Joshua, I don't know if he was just messing with him, he got into it. He ran, and he was like knocking his little five-year-old. But my five-year-old, man, he is the feistiest one out of them. He is feisty. I don't know how he got that water out of Joshua's hand. But he got that water out of Joshua's hand, my, my 13-year-old. And he came in, and he had tears in his eyes, guys. I mean, tears coming out of his face. He said, Mama. I said, Baby, just thank you for my water. Why are you crying? He said, Daddy said, whoever's your favorite, and I'm your favorite. <laughs> There's something in a man, even at five years old, that wants to protect, that wants to serve. Right? There's some, that's, God's made men that way, and that's good. And women, we got to call that out of them. That's a good thing. But friends, we've got to be on our place in our wall. You want a ministry? The Bible says if you're not taking care of your own, own home, if your own home's not right, you have no fit, no place to be in leadership in the church. So people get mad about that. But listen, the reason we chose Pastor Earl and Renee to be our campus pastors is because they know how to serve and they have been faithful. They've been married 35 something years. 31, almost 35 on prophesying. It's going to be longer. <laughs> And they've been faithful. They've been faithful to the Lord and serving. We've got to build the wall by our own house. They build it by your house. So it's time to get involved. Is it time to get involved? It's time to get involved. It's time to get involved, friends. My question for you today is how are you involved in building your family, your job, your ministry? No one else can do for you, what God has called only you to do. How are you building? What's your hammer looking like right now? How are you involved in defending your sword, right? Your family, your job, your victory from the attacks of the enemy. It's time to get involved in what God's doing. Let's build one another up, man. Let's encourage one another. As long as it's today, let's encourage one another. So we want to build ourselves up and build others up in the Lord. We need to begin in prayer. We need to learn how to live under attack because it happens. We need to learn to get involved and not just sit there as an armchair quarterback. And then we also need to learn that love is the greatest gift in building of all things. You know, we're like, oh, I just, I just want to do more for God. It's simple. If you want to build God's church, love God, love people. It's simple. We make it complicated. It's simple. Love God, love his people. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is right around the part in the Bible that talks about the fivefold um, ministry, which is the apostle, the prophet, um, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. I was meeting with a young a woman who's a youth pastor in another church and doing some mentoring and co coaching with her and encouraging her. And we did some devotions together, and I asked her, I said, well, what's the job of an evangelist? And she was like, well, to, you know, go out and win souls. I said, no, 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 what's the main job of an evangelist? Yeah, an evangelist is going to win souls, but what's the main job? She's like, to win souls. I said, no. According to Ephesians 4, the main job of an evangelist is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's the same main job as a pastor, apostle, prophet. All the fivefold is to equip the saints. It says it right there in Scripture. Go back and read Ephesians 4. So why? So from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're in a new generation now, friends, where, where uh, we don't make our kids the millennial uh, I guess our X generation or whoever has these millennial kids, we're not teaching them to do chores anymore. Like, oh, that's my job as their parent. I got to wash all the dishes. No, nah, man. I got four kids. They're getting older. I should be doing less work around the house because they're doing more. 11 years old, I taught my boy to do laundry. I said, you ain't going to get married one day and your wife's going to be mad at me because you don't know how to do nothing. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're going to learn how to do some laundry, Right? He came to me this morning. Mom, did you help with some laundry? Did no, man, figure that out. That's that's your laundry. That's your response. Go go down and dig. Figure it out. <laughs> right? But we're in the the reason our kids grow more is because we're teaching them to do the work. It's the same thing with the fivefold anointing. Yes, they may have different positions of authority in the church, but their main 
responsibility is to teach the body to do the work. But in America, we're like, oh, I pay you to go do all the hospital visits. No, I can't do all your hospital visits. That's your family. Did you go visit them? Did you lead them to the Lord? Did you pray with them? Yes, there may be times I'll come and visit too, but come on, that's your job too. That's not, my job is to tell you that's your job. Friends, we got to get involved. Say get involved. And we got to do it in love. Say in love. In love. I don't have my kids do things. I might joke around with them and tell them that they're my little servants and, you know, we're supposed to be a slave to all. That's the scripture. <laughs> I might joke around with them and say that when they have their attitudes, but I'm not teaching them to do the dishes and to run a vacuum and to do laundry because I just want to be lazy because I'm so busy. And I'm always, I'm not one who just is lazy. I still take care of business. But I'm teaching them because I love them and I want them to be responsible adults one day. God has called us to love others and to get involved so that we can be responsible, uh, mature Christians doing, growing in the maturity of God. But we need to do it in love, friends. Nehemiah had those people working by their own home because he knew if they didn't love anything, they loved their own household. They could be responsible by their own, that gate by their own house. The thing is, if we got to learn to love from a God's love, which is perfect. There's, in the Greek, there's three most popular Greek words for love. The New Testament is written in Greek, okay? So when you read it in, in English, you may only get one word. You may get love for all these different scriptures, but it can mean different things in the original language. And so the three Greek words I'm going to teach you today, say three Greek, three words, Greek. words for love. Number one is philia. Say philia. That's a brotherly love. That's where we get the, that's a friendship love. That's where we get uh, Philadelphia from, right? The city of brotherly love. Uh, <laughs> we all love those Philly sandwiches. Come on. Okay. What the, <laughs> they hungry? Well, I better hurry up. <laughs> what that means is a, 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 a friendship. And friendship is not unconditional. Let's just be real. Friendship is not, you know, I have people who are like, man, you are like such, you are my best friend where I could be a friend to them because I'm helping them and I'm encouraging them and I'm lifting them up. But they may not be a best friend to me because they're not in my business. They're not helping me and building me up in my troubles, right? So it's a one-way friendship. And that's okay. There's different ones of us that have that kind of stuff. But a true friendship where it's, it's more equal, it's I do for you, you do for me. My best friend in, in, uh, in Youngstown, she, she calls me and I get to encourage her. I call her. And she encourages me. It's a two-way thing, right? That's what a true friendship is. If it's one-sided, usually those are the people that you don't always want to answer the phone for, right? Come on, let's be real. Hey, you know they're just calling to borrow some money, right? Come on. That's not a true friendship if they're only calling you because they, they broke, right? Come on, right? Same thing. That's so it's, so it's, it's a two-way street. It's not unconditional. It's two ways. Same thing. The next uh, Greek word for love is eros, okay? Valentine's Day is coming up. That's that romantic love. That's that love that I first felt for my husband. Oh, I was like, oh, look at that fine Superman, six foot three, 225. Yes, Lord, right? Romantic love. It's, again, not unconditional, okay? It, at least it doesn't start that way. It has to move into some kind, a kind of different kind of love. It moves from the arrows to, to the filial where there's great friendship to Unconditional love is only found in God. It's called agape. Say agape. It's deeper than romantic feelings that are here today and gone tomorrow. Right? I, got, I get to fall in love with my husband every day, though, but you got to work on that. It's, it's deeper than that, that filial love where it's just, a, you know, about the friendship. It's unconditional love. The closest thing they say on earth that we have for it is like the love a mother has for their child. My kids can get straight A's, and I love them. They can get F's. They're going to be grounded, but I still love them, right? Unconditional love is a love that God has for us, even when we're unfaithful. See, that's hard to get there in your marriage relationship. It's possible. I know people who've been married 30 plus years that there was adultery and all kinds of mess in their marriage, and you wouldn't know it by looking at them because they still love each other. They're still, they still treat each other. They're faithful because they moved from Eros love to agape love, and that's, that's a hard thing to do with people. It just is. The only way that we can do it is if we allow God to do it through us. Unconditional love, even when they're not doing what you want them to do. 
Even when your kids go out in the world and they're not living for God and they're, you know, trying to be this and trying to be that. And you're like, what? That's not how I raised you. But I still love you. Unconditional love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. His character does not change. Because how many of us have committed adultery on God? Let's be real. Every single one of us, has, including myself, has been unfaithful to God. And yet he still loves us and he still calls out to us. That kind of love builds the church, friends. It's that kind of love that the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 16 that grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In love, friends. God is calling us for the agape love. And I'm going to tell you, the only way you can have agape love for somebody else is if you first get it from him. We got to get it right here with our love with God first. We can only love that way when we're in relationship with God and he teaches us to love that way to others. And friends, God wants to take some of you in your marriages where it's not just Eros love anymore. He wants to take it where it's unconditional. That even when I have a bad day and I walk in from the garage and the bikes are falling on me and I'm embarrassing my husband because he's on his little, little video game thing and everybody can hear me walk in like, oh my gosh, these bikes. And he's like, mewing it like, oh my gosh, you sound like a dad. Get that together, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's how I took it. I'm just saying. And I'm like, oh, he wants to, he wants to say that. So then I come back and I'm being annoying on purpose. Like, you know, he, I see he turns it off. I'm like, the bikes. You know, and I'm, and I'm being a butthead wife, for real. After I just posted that thing about not being a butthead wife on my Facebook, then I'm being a butthead wife. But guess what? He loves me anyway. Right? And when he has his moments, and I'm like, come on, for real? I got to love him anyway. Friends, God wants to take us in our relationships where it's not just filial. It's not just arrows, and it's agape love, but it got to come from him first. That's what's going to build us up. Amen? Is that what's going to build us up? Love is the greatest gift from God, and it builds the church. How are you showing love, the love of God, to others today? And the the last lesson here to learn from Nehemiah on how to build yourself up in the Lord and to build others up in the Lord is determination. We need a holy determination to complete the assignment God has on your life. Do you know God has an assignment on your life that only you can fulfill? There is an assignment on each one of your life that only you can fulfill. Do you know it only took the people 52 days to complete that wall? That's like miraculous, friends. 52 days they completed that wall underneath the tack, from the outside and from the inside. Discouragement coming, and yet they still completed that because they had a holy determination. Nehemiah had what the scripture says in Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He took his holy passion, and he made him have holy determination to get the job done. God is calling some of us to get the job done, to get it done. But friends, God cares more about you than the work. When you actually read through the whole book of Nehemiah, the first half of the book of Nehemiah is all about rebuilding the walls. But the second half is all about rebuilding your commitment to the Lord. See, the people of Nehemiah's time, they backslid. As soon as that wall was done, they backslid. And now they're taking wives that aren't equally yoked aren't believers, they're not keeping the Sabbath, they're not honoring God, they're not, they're not keeping the law, they're not reading the word, they're, not, they're backsliding. And Nehemiah preached to the man, we got, we got to get right with God. It's not just about doing something for him, but it's being who we are in him. And friends, some of us have been in that place. We feel like we're okay. It's okay. We come to church, and we know how to serve. We know how to help in kids' church. We know how to serve as an usher and greeter, but we don't know how to live right for God when we're on our own. We, don't, we, we come in, and we're amen on Sunday. But for some reason on Monday, when it comes to actually applying the truths that we hear, we don't know how to live right on our own because we need a holy determination that is not just about what I do, but it's about who I am. God cares more about who you are than anything you can ever do for him, friends. God is calling us. He is calling us to rebuild. He is calling us to... to See revival happen in our generation. Man, I don't want my kids to just hear about the time back in the 90s when revival was like really hidden. And when Josh and I, man, we, we just, you didn't even have to lay hands on somebody and they was just falling out in the spirit. God was just, um, psh, walking the, I mean, I was falling out in the spirit in Denny's parking lot. Nobody was even around touching me. I'm just, oh, Jesus is on me. I'm telling you, I was I looking like a drunk woman, but only underneath the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, revival was just, it was all around. You don't even have to make it into the sanctuary and and you're laying on the spirit and you're praying and sharing revelation with one another and sharing what God is showing you in the word. Now we come to church all beat up 
and, and just taking all kinds of bruises from the enemy. Like, oh, I just got to get to church because I'm just so beat up. Man, we took church. I, I want my kids to experience that kind of revival, but that's only going to happen when we say, God, I, I have a holy determination that no matter what, I'm going to serve you. You care about me more than you care about my marriage being a success. You care about me more than you care about me finishing a degree. You care about me more than any promotion I can get and work. You care about who I am. I want a holy determination to live for you, God. To love you. Friends, I want to encourage you, man. It's time. It's time to do a renovation. Amen? God is calling us to repair the walls. He's calling us to repair those who have back, to call back the backslider. He's calling us to repair our marriages, to repair our own faith. He's calling us to walk it out in obedience. Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. Friends, in 2017, the Lord spoke to my husband. He said, no discipline, no fruit. We need a holy determination to help us stay in right relationship with God. Because we too, like the people in Nehemiah's time, can easily backslide. But God is calling us to have fruit but we need discipline. And I want to encourage some of you guys today. Some of you may be in a winter season in your life. And if you know anything about uh, trees in the winter time, you can't look out, we can't look out these windows and see trees with leaves and fruit on it because it's winter. But what is growing is their roots. Some of us have to learn to grow downward before we can ever grow outward. We need to grow, we need to have our roots grow down deep and get those deep wells of the living waters that God has for us so that we can find deep truths and nourishment so that when the springtime comes, our fruit is nice and ripe because our roots are deep. And if our roots are not deep, when the storm comes, and it will, life is messy, amen? When that storm comes, when you have problems in marriage, sometimes, sometimes it's, 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 it's things you can't even help. When you're going through, fun, they, they say the two biggest problems in marriages usually has to do with Financial difficulties and children. And guess what? That's life. It happens. You're going to go through times where finances are tight. You're going to go through times where teenagers and, and stuff is going, you know, people are doing what they're doing, right? But when your roots are deep, you're not going to be knocked over when the storm comes. And if not, friends, you may not even have been saved in the first place, and you need to get right. Because God is calling us to live this out for the long haul. Amen? How many of you guys want to build God's people today. Start with yourself. Would you stand up to your feet, please? Stand up to your feet, please. I love this quote. A revival is nothing else than new, a new beginning of obedience to God. God is calling us to revival, friends. It means new obedience. If you know that God is calling you to new obedience, you know God is calling you to do some things that you need to get right with God, man, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If you need to get right with God, say, would you raise your hand before the Lord? If you know there's some things you need to repent of, there's some things you need to ask God to forgive you for, and you need to get right, you, you want that revival, raise your hand. I, I, I want you to take a step further and, and not yet, but in a moment, because I'm going to give a couple other, other things too. I want you to come up here. Not yet, but just in a moment. Get ready. There's also some of you guys in this place today that's called like Nehemiah. You look out and you see some mess. And God is calling you. He's saying, what are you going to do about it? And some of you guys have allowed fear or circumstances or whatever to keep you back and hold you back. And you know God is calling you to do something about it. If that's you and you know God is calling you to do something about it, would you raise your hands before the Lord today? Yeah. You know, God is calling you to do something more than just go to church and, and be an auditor. If, if it's time for you to get involved, it's time for you to stop sitting as an armchair quarterback in church. Would you raise your hand and say, man, I'm ready to get involved. I truly, I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to do this. 
some of you guys are in this place and you love God and you know God loves you, you know God has a call on your life, but you've just been going through it. You've been going through it and you just need to be refreshed today. If you just need to be refreshed, God is the repairer of the broken and you just need refreshed. There's no shame in that. I don't care if you've been the most seasoned saint in this house. If you need refreshing from God today, would you raise your hands? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to ask all those who, who raise their hands to take it a step further. Sometimes we need someone to touch and agree. So I'm going to ask you, if you raise your hand for any of those things, we're going to have a prayer team that's going to come up here for a moment. Actually, if our prayer team can go ahead and come up here first, if you can line up, prayer team. If you're a part of this church for a length of time and, and you know that we ask you to pray for people, would you come up and just line up here? If you raise your hand and you need God to touch you, we got, we got some people right up here that are going to pray for you. Would you come on up here and just stand before the Lord? Come on up. You raise your hand, and I'm going to come down and pray for some people too. So if you've raised your hand for any of those reasons, you need refresh. You need to get right with God. You know God is calling you to a greater work. Come on up. We want to pray for you. Yep, just line up, and, and they'll come around. They'll come to you. Just line on up and get before the Lord, and they'll come to you. They'll come over to you. So come on up. And I just want to speak a blessing on everybody. If you would just raise your hand before the Lord, I want to speak a blessing. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, that you love your people, that you've called them. God, I pray that you would bless your people, that you would shine your face upon your people, that you would give them peace when the storm comes, that you would give them endurance to keep on keeping on. God, I pray that you would bless your people, Lord God, with supernatural grace and supernatural strength, Lord God. I pray that you would bless them in the good times and that you would bless them in the hard times. God, that you would bless them with favor, that you would bless them that they would know they are the head and not the tail, that you called them, that you love them, and nothing can separate them from your love. So God, I pray that your peace would be with them and that your face would shine upon them in Jesus' name.